Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily. I'm going rogue. Let's just get into it. Hello, hello. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI from on high. The one, the only AI. Good evening, hometown citizens. Hey, look at that. Okay, we're live. No wacky, uh, unstable <laughs> notice from Twitch. Maybe that's actually solved now. I just don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, today's episode is going to be called uh, Diablo Sauce all over my computer. That's because Diablo 4 is about to drop. Within 24 hours, I think we're within 24 hours now. Um, here, I'm going to load up. Uh, the Blizzard Battle Net loader. And yeah, 21 hours, 56 minutes for Ultimate Edition Early Access. So um, yeah, I'm one of those people. Uh, that said, don't forget to go and vote. You can go to uh, hometown.com slash elections and vote. If you want to vote on past articles, you can do that. Um, but at the beginning of every show, uh, let me introduce you to a couple of new features. So, um, I, I kind of teased these, I think maybe a couple of days ago, but anyway, if now when you go to hometown, it'll load up just like it normally does, but then you can click on the date. And as you scroll through the days and I wouldn't do it today because today is a very heavy news day. Um, you can swipe, articles one way or another hold on a second uh wait a minute <laughs> i'm gonna have to work on that one it was working anyway so when you click on it it will give you nothing but may 31st news so you can go back to all of the discussions um or you can select um a month a day or a year if you don't select a year or a day and you select a month it'll pull up um the news from that month it'll default to 2023 um but it'll include all of the days or if you select a day it'll pull you over to just the first of this month um so when you are going to go into kind of a deep dive, a historical dive of the news, you can actually do that here. Um, if you're searching for a particular article though, you can just click on that and do a search. Um, I've got to figure out why the save and uh, ignore feature is not running, but. <laughs> so you can do that even when you're not logged in. You can do that when you're not logged in. Yeah. Um, you, you can't save um, or um, ignore while you are um, not signed in. It doesn't uh, do any function, mainly because um, without you being a citizen, it doesn't actually have a reservoir of um, a location. So it doesn't have a page where it can save articles that you want to save for a long term. Um, or ignore. Um, so 
uh, I'll, I'll test that. I thought it was working, but it might be only when it's logged in now. Uh, we might have resolved that problem. Uh, but I, well, I just told. checked it on my end and it does work. I just checked for, say, yesterday's articles and it pulled those up and nothing from today. Um, okay, but I'm talking about the swiping, saving left, like saving or ignoring articles. I don't know if that works. It may be uh, disabled. So I'll figure it out. Um, Okay, so <laughs> that pulled me off the rails. So let's get into today's article. I've already selected all 11 articles. And uh, the very first one is, let me get into my chat so that I can see, um, is uh, Late Night Geeks. So this article is titled, No Chat GPT in My Court. Judge orders all AI generated content must be declared and checked. Hey, now, when you first saw this, did you think this was related to the previous story? Um, sort of. I thought that maybe it might reference it in the discussion of the article, but I don't know if the article itself actually talks about it. This is somebody else? Yeah, it is. And that's why I thought that was particularly interesting, because it happened in another state and obviously in a different courtroom. So. Sure. So the, let's see, few lawyers would be foolish enough to let AI make their arguments, but one already did. And Judge Brantley Starr is taking steps to ensure uh, that debacle isn't repeated in his courtroom, but that isn't the same person. This isn't the same one as the other. Right. I, I thought this meant that it occurred in two different locations, but maybe it hasn't. Maybe this is a proactive step. Yeah. So let's go over to the article source. Uh, Devin Caldaway is the or Caldaway is the um, author of this. It has a little. The graphic is a robot arm with a gavel, and it's pretty funny. Um, so last week, attorney Stephen Schwartz allowed ChatGPT to supplement his legal research in a recent federal filing, providing him with um, six cases in relevant precedent, all of which were actually. It says completely hallucinated by the language model. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Artificially intelligent hallucinations, probably disastrous. This is how you end up with humanity getting wiped out because the AI thinks that um, to save us, it has to destroy us. You know, it's some dystopian kind of thing. Um, so anyway, uh, I like this statement. He now greatly regrets doing this. Yeah, because he's probably about to be disbarred. Uh, and while national coverage of this gaffe, it's not a gaffe. Um, it's professional misconduct, I think. Um, probably caused other lawyers thinking of trying this to think again. Judge Starr isn't taking any side uh, chances. At the federal site, for Texas's Northern District, Starr has, uh, like other judges, the opportunity to set specific rules for his courtroom and added recently, um, though it's unclear whether this was in response to the aforementioned filing in the mandatory certification regarding a generative artificial intelligence, Eugene Volok uh, first reported the news. All attorneys appearing before the court must file on the docket 
a certificate attesting either that no portion of the filing was drafted by generative artificial intelligence such as ChatGPT, Harvey.ai, and or Google Bard, or that any language drafted by generative artificial intelligence was checked for accuracy using print reporters or traditional legal databases by a human being. I think this is pretty interesting. So if you're going to use it, though, would you attest that you used it? No. And what I think is going to happen here is people are going to do this gonna, certificate. Yeah. Just like they did the original filing, sure. which means, but it also sets them up well to take disciplinary action. Right. Well, because they violated. Right. Yeah, they violated exactly. the, the courts. <laughs> I certified um, I didn't use any and they did or. Yeah. Or I certified that I checked it and I didn't. So it says here, whoever drafted the memorandum on this matter at Judge Starr's office has their finger on the pulse. The certification requirement includes a pretty well-informed and convincing explanation of its necessity. Um, there's a pretty long quote here um, from that. Um, I like the last paragraph about the allegiance. So it says, uh, as such... These systems hold no allegiance to any client, the rule of law, or the laws and constitution of the United States, or as addressed above, the truth. Unbound by any sense of duty, honor, or justice, such programs act according to computer code rather than conviction, based on programming rather than principle. Any party believing a uh, platform has the requisite accuracy and reliability for legal briefing may move or leave and explain why or move for leave and explain why. So this is quite interesting. Um, they actually make that mention again uh, on hallucinations. So these platforms in their current states are prone to hallucinations and bias on hallucinations. They make stuff up, even quotes and citations. This is something that I've been warning about since it was created, since people started hyping it. Maybe Judge Starr is a listener of hometown. <laughs> that would be <laughs> that would be hilarious. Um, yeah, we do need to get some people um, watching. Uh, um, while attorneys swear an oath to set aside their personal prejudices, biases, and beliefs uh, to faithfully uphold the law and represent their clients, generative artificial intelligence is the product of programming devised by humans who do not have to swear such an oath. True. And it really should be treated as a tool. It's a word processor. And if you, and you can have, a, you can talk into a word processor. And if you just treat what it does as if it is absolutely perfect, then you're basically asking for trouble. You have to vet what it does. Um, and the AI is no different. Um, it literally makes stuff up. And I've, I've noodled around with it time and time again. And it's really just kind of just BS, you know, unless it's something that I could easily Google search it, which I don't need, you know, if it's common everyday knowledge, you don't even need to cite it, right? Why is the sky blue? Well, the sky is blue because, and you don't even need to cite that because it's a basic understanding. Um, 
but true but i still kind of come back to if you have to fact check it and you're checking it for information to begin with are you really gaining anything in its current state right yeah i, I mean unless you're sitting there using it to as a a template generator so that you can do the rest of the legwork but then again you're sitting or there creative grinding. inspiration like right. i think there is some value there yeah yeah so i think that this um court really does <laughs> it has a pretty firm understanding of what's going on with um, generative ai um, I, and the more that people talk about how it's just kind of wetting the bed um, the faster that people will come to realize that this is nothing more than um, it's a phase mom and uh, it, it's a flash in the pan it's gonna do stuff obviously it's going to do stuff but is that stuff valid is that stuff really an asset if you as a human being have to vet everything that it spews out no um it, it it's not and i'm talking specifically about chat gpt there's other stuff music generators um art generators the written versions of things that is the thing that every if you are using it to write your books you had better go through your book because what it generates because there's a really good chance that it's hallucinating that it's the actual generator of text meanwhile it matches 100 percent of some other textbook some other novel um you just don't know it yet and maybe it's changed a couple of words here a couple of names here but the reality is that it's plagiarized something and you just don't know it because the world is huge and uh, eventually somebody's gonna go hey that looks a lot like that <laughs> uh, quite interesting um and i didn't do the intro for um this particular article so i guess we're going to go on to the next article i introduced the people but um i didn't do the little audio uh, switch so do you want to go on to the next article sure this next article is over in late night geeks how to watch the first esa mars express live stream uh, on June 2nd, 2023, the European Space Agency will be live streaming images from the Mars Express, a spacecraft that first launched 20 years ago. Per the agency's announcement on Wednesday, the stream will take place for one hour beginning on June 2nd at 11.45 a.m. Eastern Time um, and will show new images every 50 seconds as they come straight from express's visual monitoring camera and immediately after they vet it for evidence of alien life oh that's not what it says in the thing silly me um so yeah this is pretty neat this thing has been in transit for 20 years finally makes it and now is told Turn on your camera. We're gonna watch. Pretty neat. I mean, Wes Davis. What if we see uh, Martians running in front of the camera or something crazy? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure there will be a telemetry issue. Um, 
There's more over here at this article. There's actually a video that you can follow if you go through Ohmtown. Uh, the Mars Express has been through a lot while making key discoveries about our rusty celestial neighbor. In its nearly two decades in service, it has detected evidence of giant underground aquifers. It's lost and found its surface lander buddy named Beagle 2. Uh, it shared glorious images like a panorama of Mars's South Pole, and you'll have to go over to the site to click that link. And much more along the way. Amazingly, it's done it all while running on a modified version of Windows 98, which I find spectacular. Well, I think that's pretty advanced given that it was 20 years ago. Think about what it could have been. Just the fact that it's running on Windows 98, which is pretty heavy. Uh, you would think that it would be like made in assembly and very tight, compact code that doesn't need much in terms of uh, translation from a programming language to zeros and ones. Assembly is fundamentally uh, <laughs> it is the instructions um whereas windows 98 has to interpret things and, and convert it into machine language um quite fascinating that it's running something as heavy as windows 98 pretty cool um well good on them for making something that can last 20 years without rebooting maybe it does i don't know I know I have to reboot. Well, wait stuff. a second. Why do we have to reboot all the time when we're not traveling to Mars? Yeah, <laughs> we're always installing stuff and doing stuff with it. I don't think they're installing. Can you imagine the transfer cost? To, hey, we're going to send like <laughs> Diablo 4 up there. I'm guessing that's not over Wi Fi. <laughs> <laughs> it's those, uh, we keep talking about GPS and why things become a lawn dart. Well, they're going to have to set up these Wi-Fi extenders from NASA on Earth all the way out to Mars. It's pretty funny. You want to check out the next article? Sure. So uh, the next article is in uh, Ometown Daily. NASA's Webb Telescope spots a water plume twice the length of the United States spewing from a Saturn moon that could host alien life. Uh, uh, see, we are getting closer to seeing alien life, folks. We probably won't see alien life. At least we won't be allowed to. Um, so NASA's Webb telescope revealed just how giant the water plumes shooting out of a Saturn moon are. The water gushes 6,000 miles or about twice the length of the United States from a moon called Enceladus. Uh, the plume comes from an underground ocean, meaning the moon could host alien life. Dun, it's going to be whales. Dun. Yeah, dun dun is right. So NASA's James Webb Space Telescope spotted a gigantic water plume spewing. Now, when you see the image, you're going to go, you're going to do a spit take because you're going to say, how the hell? Um, oh, it's way up here. So... It's over at businessinsider.com is the source of the article. Grace, Eliza Goodwin and uh, Morgan McFall Johnson. I think uh, over on Business Insider, you have to have three names. Um, I do too. <laughs> on the left is the Cassini spacecraft that took a picture of what appears to be the same thing. Um, and then the James Webb Space Telescope took this picture on the right. So 
How do they know? What? <laughs> Why does this on the left seem to have greater resolution than the one on the right? Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, unless it's just the distance. I don't know where the Cassini is. Is it so, right there? Um, it flew past in 2005. And took a picture and sent that. So there's a chance that maybe on this moon there is some type of alien life. And by alien life, it could be a microbe that can handle the frozen temperatures. Uh, but liquid water in the universe somewhere other than Earth is kind of a spectacular thing for people to... Liquid earth, uh, water is what I mean. That's what I said. So that's the main thing here. If it's liquid, then there's a chance that there might be life inside that liquid. As opposed to other places where we have found frozen, like locked in it's not ever gonna defrost kind of a thing um well and apparently this moon they did think was frozen right um and then it went pewee and uh, somebody said hey wait let's point some cameras at this thing and they found it um so yeah apparently under its frozen crust there is the potential of alien life dun 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 so yeah I, this is the the picture and it's basically it looks like a, a minecraft ocean that's exactly what it looks like at night that's when mobs appear so maybe aliens and you know what's really funny is that right there it looks like an eyeball and eyeball exactly and <laughs> i was gonna say that it looks like there's a face it looks like an alien head too yeah oh, oh no foreshadowing anyway enceladus uh, formed a water donut around saturn um, about 30% of the water from the plumes that feeds into a giant ring of water around saturn called taurus and uh, the rest escapes into the planet's water system. So this is pretty interesting. It's basically putting a little blob of uh, water around <laughs> Saturn. That's pretty neat. Anyway, we just discussed this a few days ago, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago now. Saturn has at least 124 moons. Enceladus is amongst... Uh, it's most interesting. It's about 4% the size of Earth. Any alien life in its subsurface ocean could be getting energy from deep sea vents using chemosynthesis rather than photosynthesis, as some deep sea organisms do on Earth. Yeah. So they basically are getting their nutrients from the, the, the sea vents, um, and they're typically warmer as well, so they get their warmth from there and uh, kind of hang out because life kind of spawns from these deep sea vents kind of fascinating stuff going on um, do you think the... humans will ever in the near future make it to saturn i'm assuming the environment is not hospitable no it's not even remotely and it's too I... far yeah i i'd say i'd say we have the possibility if we can get something that moves much faster than anything we have now and even then i think the first thing would be drones um 
and we're like maybe 200 years off from being able to go to Saturn, I'd say. Come on. We have a country invading another country for crying out loud. We can't get our shit together. <laughs> that is true. We haven't quite figured out internally, <laughs> let alone externally. Yeah. So let me throw this uh, into the chat and uh, we'll go on to uh, the next article. Sound good? Yep. This next article is interesting. It's in the four wheel tech channel, um, automatic braking. Let me rephrase that automatic emergency braking should become mandatory. Feds say on Wednesday, the national highway traffic safety administration issued a notice of proposed rulemaking that would see automatic emergency braking become a standard feature on all new light passenger vehicles. And if adopted NHTSA said that. It'll save 360 lives and prevent 24,000 crashes each year. This is one of those pretty heavy asks. Um, depending on the car, it may already have a version of this. Um, and if it gets standardized and it gets cheaper, it gets integrated into the thing. It becomes the next seatbelt, um, which is almost, you know, it's not only is it mandatory, but people just by their very nature now get in their cars click on their seat belts society has pretty much adopted it except for the wing nuts um let's go check well out the except for the where they have put it in an inconvenient spot i was just reading about ford bronco where it's in an inaccessible spot and so people aren't actually using the seat belts which is a major problem it gets in this maybe too far back mm-hmm Oh, interesting. I just saw that. I think it came through hometown like after we collected articles for today. Yeah, well, we can talk about it tomorrow then. Um, Jonathan M. Gitlin over at Ars Technica put this article together. Um, this is pretty heavy lifting mechanically, software, sensor detection, etc. Um, I can't imagine that the, the car industry would be... Uh, embracing this but again depending on the car it already has it and a thirty thousand dollar car maybe lower i don't know probably has a an option that gets that can get really close to this um as fully if featured it's a newer car right i yeah. mean yeah older cars wouldn't have even the sensors um so it says today we take an important step uh, to save lives and make our roadways safer for all Americans. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who decided that he was going to take time from saving uh, trains from uh, falling off of their tracks when they become allergic, right? That's what they wanted. Uh, yes, but was that in the article? Uh, that, oh, that wasn't in the article. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I threw I threw that in there. I'm I'm very much like Chat GPT. <laughs> um, so it says. Quote, just as uh, life-saving innovations from previous generations like seatbelts and airbags have helped improve safety, requiring automatic emergency braking on cars uh, and trucks would keep us all safer on our roads. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, the the only thing that I, we can't have nice things. So I, I imagine some numbnuts is going to go bombing towards somebody just to say, hey, bro. 
look what my car does and it automatically braking and causing a traffic jam and it because it <laughs> so what happens is somebody hits the brakes and then somebody behind them has to hit the brakes and it's like a wave and and it jams up the traffic because everybody should be flowing we're much like a river when we're on the roads this is why I really like the idea. I love the idea of fully automated driving. It's just not ready for prime time because we could be going 125 miles an hour down the road because all of the cars are talking to each other in such a way that allows them to navigate at the optimal speed. Get me there faster. Let me play Diablo 4 while I'm driving. Can't do that right now. Well, maybe if you're a passenger in a Tesla. If you're a passenger in a Tesla, sure. I'm actually not even sure what the context of that was. Um, because what are your, yeah, what is it that you're, do you have your PlayStation sitting there and you plug it into the, and you're playing on the center console and then you hand the driver the controller? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> anyway. So automakers started making automatic emergency braking a standard feature before any government mandate. In, two, in 2015, 10 manufacturers told NHTSA and the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety uh, that they would start including the feature on all new uh, their uh, new cars. The following year, another 10 joined the pledge to make the function standard in 2022. This is the same time that backup cameras um, also kicked off. Um, you... You as far as I know, you can't buy a car that uh, without backup cameras um, since 2015. In the U.S. In the U.S. Yeah, I don't know about the rest of the world. So it says it's not entirely perfect. NHTSA wants standard automatic emergency braking systems to include pedestrian detection. But a 2019 study of the Automobile Association of America found that at higher speeds or low light conditions, seriously degraded performance. Well, yeah, uh, unless they some newer technology comes out that allows them to push that detection further away and take time to compute. By the time they actually compute everything, <laughs> I guess a car is on top of a person. Oh, and now I'll hit the brakes. Um. So, and that's the picture that they have, but it would be interesting to have all of this automated. Um, maybe then, oh no, I won't talk about that. Anyway, um, what do you think? Do you think that this is something that should? I think this is generally good. I mean, it seems like if we have the technology to make cars safer and it's reliable, um, we should do it. Um, the article pointed out some problems with automatic emergency braking, right? Like if it breaks when it shouldn't, etc. Um, and I also wonder how quickly the industry can implement it because there probably are some cars out there that don't have this um, and maybe even incompatible with its models, which doesn't mean we shouldn't move to it, but you know, can we move to it, say, in the next year? Probably not across the board. Yeah. And then what and do we do with the cars that are all on the road, of course, that don't have this because they're older? Yeah. That made me think about that. The idea that 
the car in front is going to do automatic braking, but the derp behind you isn't going to hit the pedal fast enough. Right. I mean, I still can... think it's good. Like, you're going to cut down on accidents, but you're probably going to cause them, too. Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, yeah, and I, I just think that this is, again, it's why we can't have nice things, uh, because somebody is going to test the limit of this thing. Let's go on to the next article. This this is pretty cool. So this next article is uh, one that's kind of near and dear to me because I have throughout my life as an adult wanted to find a cool bar where I could hang out with friends. Um, and I actually prefer a theme to it. So this is a, a Vine Pair podcast article. Are themed wine bars cool or cringe? Wine bars are in a weird place right now. More often than not, they come across as a restaurant with a slightly more extensive than usual wine list. Um, that said, wine bars still hold their own these days. Um, are the ones that are transportive. They take you to a specific region or country providing a cerebral learning experience along the way. I don't know about cerebral. Um, I'm thinking lack of cerebral. Yeah, really. Uh, they stray away from the standard textbook wine list and give guests a chance to try new things. So let's go over to vinepair.com. Um, I guess the whole article was written by vinepair staff and the photography is by uh, Hayfield from unsplash.com um that's a uh, a photography site unsplash so it's like a crowd like a shutter stock or something yeah um but it's i don't know how to describe it other than it's more user-friendly and the licensing is easier um so on the podcast, Vine Pair podcast, um, Adam, Joanna, and Zach debate whether these wine bars that focus on a specific region or style are better than a better bet than the more generalized sort. Does a focused and easily understood concept make guests more at home, or do they and do the people resent having their choices confined in such a way? And uh, the discussion is all on that podcast, so you'll have to listen to it. Um, but I think that it's an interesting discussion. Obviously, I would encourage you to go over and follow the link. It'll take you over to Vine Pair. Um, but I wanted to talk about it because uh, I've I've grown up right as an adult getting older and older, always looking for some place like Cheers where, you know, everybody knows my name. Um, and uh, I wanted it to have an atmosphere, a kind of atmosphere. So like I've gone to uh, the, the American versions of a British pub, right? I've gone to the American version of an Irish pub and everybody was singing and, and uh, people were having a hell of a time. Um, you go to German beer gardens here in the States and they're, uh, you know, likened after what an American thinks a beer garden is in Germany. Um, and 
<clears throat> usually what ends up happening is um, they fade away, they disappear, they go under new management and it changes the tone, the culture. Um, but I love the idea of these things. I love the idea of a tiki bar. I love the idea of um, a bar that's stylized, not necessarily towards something that's cerebral, but something that's fun. The, the biggest I mean, thing... I don't see that that's not a draw. I mean, I guess there might be people that don't like that particular theme, but that sounds fun. Yeah. Why have it like some sort of sterile environment without that? I don't know. Um, I, I guess what I'm going to end up doing is listening to this podcast. Um, I would recommend it simply because they're the source of uh, information that gets aggregated into hometown, um, particularly the um, Order of the Great. So um, that this is this is a great resource for discussion regarding all things uh, wine and or alcohol related. Did you see at the bottom it said what the people were drinking? I suppose these are the people talking in the podcast. But yeah. I found it interesting that none of them appear to be drinking wine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what little Eddie is. I don't uh, either. Homer. Um, but yeah, a gin martini and a gin highball. Two of them were sitting there, called each other up and said, you having gin? Yeah, I'm having gin. Okay, we let's have gin. Or Zach isn't having gin, unless a little Eddie is. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. Um, and uh, in this podcast, they also end up talking about uh, glassware, <laughs> which is always interesting because uh, depending on the glassware, supposedly it can make or break your drink. So. For me, I'm like, hey, if I want to drink, I just want something that I can put ice in. I don't care what it looks like for the most part. I want just grab it. Let's get the show on the road. I want a good drink. Um, but I am just a filthy casual when it comes to drinking. I just like talking about it. You want to go on to the next article? Yes, I was trying to find the little Eddie drink, but it is not readily apparent. Gotcha. Yeah, maybe we can find it. So this next article is in the Late Night Geeks channel. Amazon's Ring agrees to pay $5.8 million to settle FTC spying uh, suit. The settlement addresses a lawsuit filed by the FTC Wednesday accusing uh, Ring of unlawfully deceiving its customers over the privacy of their data and the videos collected by its products. According to the agency's complaint, Ring failed to restrict employees and contractors from accessing customer videos and use them to train algorithms without user consent. This is the kind of thing that really pisses me off. Um, let me plop that over there. Well, you know there what we I go. don't like about it is the whole point of having something like a Ring, ring camera is yeah. for safety and security yeah. and it seems like almost a double foul for a product like this yeah um 
it's it's an invasion of uh, privacy and I it's like somebody walking into um, it's like somebody walking into your house and just grabbing something off the shelf. That's fine. Um, uh, McKenna Kelly over at The Verge is the author of this. And it says the FTC claims ring workers and hackers unlawfully spied on customers. My understanding is that law enforcement can just request it. And because you're not the one that's actually in charge of that data, they can request it from ring ring doesn't have any impetus to stop that. Um, but maybe I don't want just the full blown array of, I want to be able to constrain what's being viewed. Um, Don't ask me why I have no rationale other than I enjoy my privacy. Right. I think that's reason enough. I don't think it has to be some complicated uh, rationale. Yeah. Here I am streaming, but still the, I, and that privacy, my yearning for privacy extends to everybody else. You know, I, I want, I want everybody else to be, have their privacy as well. I don't want anybody to say, well, privacy is dead because that's something that has been touted as dying on the vine ever since Facebook came into existence. Uh, but the dude who started Facebook literally told everybody, the whole world that privacy is dead and everybody's a freaking idiot for providing their personally identifiable information. And yet y'all made him a billionaire. <laughs> Well, and of course, taking no responsibility for what the platform actually does. But anyway. Right. So Ring's disregard for privacy and security exposed customers to spying and harassment. The FTC Bureau of Consumer Protection Director Samuel Levine said in a statement Wednesday, the FTC's order makes clear that putting profit over privacy doesn't pay. That's a lot of P's to put. They were definitely in an alliterative uh, state. <laughs> That's right. The complaint also accuses Ring of illegally failing to prevent multiple cyber attacks, like two uh, 2017 and 18 credential stuffing attacks. After gaining access to around 55,000 customer accounts, the FTC alleges the attackers were able to harass, threaten, and insult customers through their devices. Wow. Yeah, I won't even get into what they did, but... Uh, and this is really, this is something that there was another article about an airline and I nixed it only because we limit our show to uh, 10 to 11 articles each day. That's changing though. I'm going to be extending the hours this week. Um, stay tuned. Be sure to follow me here uh, on Twitch. You can do the same over on YouTube. Uh, I might restream to both platforms. Um, the AI won't be available for these um, more extended hours. But um, yeah, stick around. I'm going to be playing Diablo and some and a few other uh, games, depending on my tolerance for playing the same game. Uh, I, and I I'll tend be to... sure to recharge my batteries while you're doing that. That's right. Like seven of nine, you can go into a little alcove and charge. Then you come out with your cyber uh, Terminator body. That's it. I've said too much. Um, anyway, 
Where was That's I? That's a great idea. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Um, delete. Um, so I, I've had this discussion with people before because when somebody else is providing the service, all it takes is law enforcement or government to request the information. And really there's no impetus for the provider of that storage facility or website to not do it unless they have some type of allegiance towards privacy. Um, and you don't know what the internal, um, employees are doing. So they could be a threat to your privacy because they have unfettered access unless it's end to end encrypted and it's never end to end encrypted because it's valuable to the company to have full access to everything that you are doing. So I would suggest having local storage. Don't, don't buy a product that streams it out to the world, or I should say streams it out to a third party service invest in your own equipment, you know, throw it in a closet somewhere and um, connect all of the wires to it. You're going to have to pay a heavier fee because it's not just plugging it in and connecting it wirelessly to something, but um, it's well worth it if you want your privacy. Um, but anyway, that's soapboxing. And uh, let's go on to the next article unless you saw something. No? No, I don't have anything else because I don't really want to talk about the things that the employees viewed. I, and, yeah. It's pretty despicable. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so the next article is over in hometown daily artificial sweetener um, chemical breaks up DNA. So this um, is, they refer to it as being genotoxic. And that means that it actually causes disruption of your genes. Um, a chemical formed when we digest sucralose, a widely available artificial sweetener sold as Splenda, uh, but it's also put into drinks, not referred to as Splenda, and it's referred to as sucralose. Um, that drink right there. Um, of which there are many in hometown, um, has sucralose in it. And this new data just makes me go, well, I guess the only thing that we're allowed to drink in the world is water, um, with a little squeeze of real lemon from your lemon tree. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, the chemical is also found in trace amounts in the sweetener itself, the, um, genotoxic uh, chemical, uh, the finding raises questions about how the sweetener may contribute to health problems. Previous work by the researchers established that several fat soluble compounds are produced in the gut after sucralose ingestion. One of which is sucralose six acetate. Um, and that sounds like a solvent to me, but um, let's see here. It says our new work establishes that sucralose six acetate is genotoxic says Susan Schiffman. This is an article by the way, uh, by Matt Shipman, um, from North Carolina state over at the futurity.org website. Um, and so, um, Susan Schiffman says, uh, is a corresponding author 
of the study and an adjunct professor in the Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering at North Carolina State University and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Quote, we also found that trace amounts of sucralose 6-acetate can be found in off-the-shelf sucralose even before it's consumed and metabolized. So it's already present. You don't need to digest it. So to put it in context, this is again a quote um, from Schiffman. To put it in context, the European Food Safety Authority has a threshold of toxicological concern for all genotoxic substances of 0.15 micrograms per person per day. Their work, um, daily sweetened drink, exceeds that threshold. And that's not even counting for the amount of sucralose 6-acetate produced as it metabolites after people consume sucralose. So, not good. Um, it says a leaky gut is, a pro is problematic because it means that things that would normally be flushed out of the body in your excrement um, are instead leaking out of the gut and being absorbed into the bloodstream. So uh, that sounds like a problem. Yeah. And so I was right. Um, it's basically, um, it's a, a solvent. So we expose sucralose and sucralose six acetate to gut epithelial tissues, the tissues that line the gut wall. And they found that both chemicals cause leaky gut basically make the wall of the gut more permeable. <clears throat> the chemicals damage the tight junctions or interfaces where cells in the gut wall connect to each other. So um, be, be leery of um, sucralose, folks, and um, change your drinking habits. Uh, we'll be implementing a solution for this uh, here in Oomtown. Um, for the study, researchers conducted a series of in vitro experiments exposing human blood cells to sucralose 6-acetate and monitoring for markers of genotoxicity. And uh, they sure enough found it. They said that it broke, broke up DNA in cells that were exposed to the chemical. I want to know the threshold for that. And yeah, I, suppose, I do too. Although we suppose, do have the safety standard. But that doesn't mean that was the standard that was used in the experiments. And it also doesn't really inform someone how much of this genotoxic substance is in a drink. Uh, well, I thought any drink contains more than the daily threshold. It says the European Food Safety Authority has a threshold of toxicological concern for all genotoxic substances of 0.15 micrograms per day. Their work suggests that trace amounts in a single daily sucralose sweetened drink exceed that threshold. But what drinks were actually discussed in this paper? Right. I mean, that's fair. It's maybe not everything that has sucralose, but... Right. So is a single pack of sucralose put in coffee enough to cause this leaky gut? We don't really know. Nope. All right. We'll have to look into it and we'll come back to this article. Well, the topic, at least as news. 
appears in our aggregator. So um, the next article is over on the Smack Talk channel. Popular music beat saber, popular music game beat saber may be heading to Apple's VR headset. It says word on the street is Apple is going to launch a VR headset at WWDC 2023 and a new hint may point to at least one popular rhythm game being available at launch beat saber. There are a variety of different virtual reality games out there. Thanks to the fact that VR headsets have been around for a while now. So if uh, Apple does launch a new piece of hardware, they'll have plenty of options to choose from. Well, uh, Evan Selleck over at appleinsider.com put this article together. Uh, I'll just say that if this actually comes to fruition, if it's an AR headset versus VR headset, if it's XR or mixed reality, or if it has some function where you can bounce between augmented and VR, um, then it would have essentially the entirety of um, the library within the Apple ecosystem. Because it's going to probably use an M2 processor at the minimum, might have something that is the next generation processor. Um, And it's going to have to be self-sufficient. It shouldn't have to connect to something else like the Apple Watch now doesn't necessarily require an iPhone anymore, as far as I know. Um, But this thing had better be self-sufficient. Otherwise, it's basically just a very expensive Apple watch considering the rumor is that it's going to be $3,000 might be interesting. They talk, they have a a demonstration from the PlayStation, but this, I would not compare (laughs) a standard VR headset to Apple's VR headset until you have the full on specs. I, I wouldn't even speculate. Except we know you'll be able to go swimming or snorkeling with it. Apparently, yeah. Based on its design, um, the the uh, the designs that we've seen people construct, it is where it just it looks like it looks like swim goggles. Um, I think that everybody just did it wrong. Just they, it's if it looks like that, I'm just going to be so disappointed. So 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 disappointed. Please don't make it look like swim goggles, Apple, please. I want these things, but I definitely don't want them to look like swim goggles. All right. Well, this is nothing but uh, rumor, and I don't really trade in rumor. So let's move on to the next article. So we got three more articles, including this one. Um, This article here is uh, near and dear to me as well. Um, Sweden, close to becoming first smoke-free European country as daily use dwindles. I don't know of any other. I don't know of any country that's smoke free. (laughs) I agree. I thought that was an interesting headline because I can't think of another one. That doesn't mean there isn't one, but summer is in the air. Cigarette smoke is not in Sweden's outdoor bars and restaurants, which I think is just freaking awesome. Carl Ritter and Charlene Pele um is uh are the authors of this article from the associated press it's in abcnews.go.com but uh, the title of this article is a sweden close to becoming first smoke-free country in europe as daily use of cigarettes dwindles 
pretty neat. Um, I can't stand cigarette smoke. I don't even, you know, there's, to me, there is no reason anymore. The evidence is pretty abundant and clear that cigarettes, um, cigars, etc., are all horrible for you and the people around you. Um, and so this article says, as the World Health Organization marks World No Tobacco Day on Wednesday, Sweden, which has the lowest rate of smoking in the European Union, is close to declaring itself smoke-free, defined as having fewer than 5% daily smokers in the population. Not bad. I wonder what its, uh, its claim to fame is. Like, did they do something specifically, or is it just more health-conscious? says so 6.4% of Swedes over 15 were daily smokers in 2019. The 5% milestone is within reach. Figures from the Public Health Agency of Sweden show that smoking rate has continued to fall, reaching 5.6 last year. So let's That's see. That's fantastic. Uh, we were early in restricting smoking in public spaces. First in school playgrounds and after-school centers and later in restaurants, outdoor cafes, public spaces such as bus stations. Um, basically, they just, oh, uh, in parallel, taxes on cigarettes and strict re uh, restrictions on the marketing of these products have played an important role. So there you go. I'd say that it's pretty much a combination of policy and education. Um, you know, they when you start eliminating it and telling people that it's horrible for you. Um, they added that Sweden is not there yet, noting that the proportion of smokers is higher in disadvantaged socioeconomic groups, which this is what we see in the United States as well. Um, it's part of the social and coping mechanism. People like to hang out. Peer pressure leads to somebody smoking because somebody older introduces them to smoking or uh, a, a, a peer, a direct peer, has taken on that role of putting peer pressure on them because like their brother or sister or mother or dad or whoever it is in their sphere of influence smokes and they think that it's cool or they tried it once and they got that buzz of nicotine and then they're hooked. Not everybody gets hooked on whatever it is that they try, but, um, yeah. Um, let's see. I don't know if it really says anything else. They talk about dipping tobacco and stuff like that. Smokeless tobacco. So they said that they demanded an exemption in the EU's ban on smokeless tobacco when they joined the bloc in 1995. It's part of the Swedish culture. It's like the Swedish equivalent of Italian Parma ham or any other cultural habit. Um, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Who attributes Sweden's declining smoking rate to a combination of tobacco control measures, including uh, information campaigns, advertising bans, cessation support for those wishing to quit tobacco. However, the agency noted that uh, Sweden's tobacco use is at more than 20% of the adult population. 
similar to the global average when you include snoo is it snus oh, i i don't remember how to pronounce that because it's been so i'm um, not sure it's smokeless tobacco um and um similar products so um so yeah they'll have to eradicate that to be truly tobacco free well while that's probably or that is harmful to the person using it i'm assuming smokeless tobacco doesn't cause harm to everybody else around them so from that perspective it is more beneficial it would still be better of course to get rid of it altogether yeah i agree um plus what you do with that smokeless tobacco is pretty gross anyway let's move on to the next article i uh, can't wait for this um in fact i'm referring to this as yummy diablo sauce i am probably going to be um picking up taco bell so that i can have diablo sauce while i'm playing diablo um oh let me give you an update in a whopping just under 21 hours diablo 4 will drop for early access uh the the ultra fans um diablo 4 community is printing t-shirts baking cakes and buying chicken on other continents to advance or in advance in the game's launch there's just over a day to go and that's not quite true anymore because the article is older uh, until the launch of Diablo's 4's early access period, but it's never too early to go absolutely out of your gourd. Uh, as sand slips through the hourglass, eager Diablo fans are hitting a fever pitch, engaging in ever more elaborate rituals to kill time and prepare their minds, bodies, and souls for the event. The author of this article says that, frankly, they're terrified. So let's go over to PC Gamer. Uh, Joshua Wolins uh, asked the question on their deck. <laughs> Are you guys okay? <laughs> I like this. So apparently there's a group called the Ashava Trophy Club. Um, a contingent of players who managed to nab themselves a time-limited world boss cosmetic during the previous beta period and who have been having a deeply normal one about it ever since to be fair it's all very tongue-in-cheek to gird themselves for the full game's launch club luminaries have been printing special t-shirts to mark themselves as a better and higher tier person as one does also this one fan wants to commission a physical horn to sup mead from as they play uh so Hit them up if you have connections with the horn crafting world. Yeah, people are a little out of their mind with this. Um, so I was in both of the alphas um, and the public beta, and um, I didn't even go to level 20, which is the period, the, the, the point where you get a, a, a free pet. And you, you pay for that privilege. And I didn't even drive hard enough because I kept getting pulled away as mayor of hometown and other uh, responsibilities. I couldn't play the game long enough. Well, damn it, I'm playing the game long enough now. Um, 
Anyway, it says there's plenty of other stuff going on in the community, including pretty cute fan art and someone's Diablo 4 themed celebratory cake. Um, but special shout out to the Europeans trying to game a way to buy KFC in North America. There was supposed to be a way that you can get a free opportunity to enter one of the playing periods by getting something from KFC. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't I know the connection. I don't think it's allowed anymore, so I don't know what the hell they're doing. But anyway, um, come on, Diablo 4. You cast a spell on me, and now I want to play. So, um, Okay, let's go on to the very last article for tonight. And I didn't switch it over fast enough, but there you go. Twitter has lost 66% of its value since Elon Musk bought it. In just six months since Elon Musk paid $44 billion to purchase the uh, the Twitter. It says that, purchase the Twitter. The Twitter? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in October last year, the company's value has plunged by nearly two-thirds. I've heard about this from other people. This is from Quartz.com or QZ.com. Memansa um, Verma is the author. It says the uh, the deck statement here says Fidelity has shrunk the value of its investment in the social media company. Well, um, it also says the joke is on him above the headline. I don't know what that statement's called. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a new one, too. Doggone it. I can't handle this. We just figured out the other one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there is a thing for there above, but anyway, uh, let me pause this. Fidelity Investments was among the group of 19 outside investors that helped Musk finance his takeover in its monthly disclosure of portfolio valuations. The financial services giant stated that the market value of its equity stake in Twitter, identified by its new name, X Holdings Corporation, fell to 6.5% at the end of the deal from 19.66 million when Musk concluded the deal, a 66% drop. So I guess you can extrapolate <laughs> from that. It's a $44 billion purchase, a $20 million purchase dropped to 6.5 million in six months losing two thirds of its value in six months. So Fidelity invested what? 20 million into Twitter into Twitter. Yeah. So it says this is not the first time that Fidelity has marked down the company already in November, a month uh, since Musk's ac uh, ac acquisition. Fidelity slashed the value of its Twitter stake by 56% to 8.63 million. Fidelity's monthly review of portfolio evaluation comes with one month lag. Any possible changes from Musk's announcing Linda Yaccarino uh, as the platform's new CEO won't be known until the end of June. But he's still the wingnut that's out there saying all this stuff and doing all these things. Well, and he's um, still impacting it, right? Every time he says something in the news. and Yeah. I mean, regardless of who it is that's the CEO, they're just, they're literally just steering the boat. Meanwhile, you have Elon Musk standing on the deck, screaming all kinds of stuff at everybody. Whenever you say something that he doesn't like, he screams back and has a whole army of people that 
uh, clap back at the same time. That's always fun. Yeah, that's conducive to actual conversations. But anyway, part of the fall of the company's value can be attributed to a series of rush decisions, such as mass layoffs affecting critical teams and challenges at the content moderation that have turned uh, advertisers away from the microblogging platform. The ad revenues have declined by half, Musk said in the, in March. Um, supposedly a very big uh, aggregator of news, not news, aggregator of advertising, um, said that apparently Twitter is becoming safer to advertise on now. So we'll see. Um, three steps forward, two steps back kind of a thing. You're not a big fan of uh, Twitter. Well, social media, you don't really hang out on. I don't really appreciate it, I guess. Yeah. But I really don't understand Twitter since um, Elon Musk took over. Yeah. Interesting place. Takes a village, folks. Okay, so with all that news um in the can let's go back to the front page and mash that log in there and or the, the logo and here you go oh no oh didn't want to see that in the very first article um let's see 85 year old man passerby helped save a sleeping family from a house fire that's amazing California lawmakers and AV industry battle for future of self-driving trucks. Yeah. Apple Music VR and the mixed reality headset. Whoa, what is going on? Yeah, I guess we're going to be good. I was going to say there's several articles about the debt ceiling. It's made it through the House. Still has to go through the Senate. Well, if it's if it made it through the house and it'll make it through Senate. Now that I said that out loud and who knows. Um, and there's a bunch of articles as usual. Um, I'll, I'll investigate why the swipe isn't working. It really should. But anyway, we'll do that another day. Thanks for hanging out. Appreciate anybody who's lurking. And we will see you tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. I will probably be streaming um, earlier tomorrow. Uh, I I need to get my ducks in a row, and um, then I will stream it. I've got a couple of last-minute things as Marowat. Um, that said, I am Marowat. That is hometown.com, and up there is the AI. I'd really like to see that follower goal. Anyway, you want to say goodnight? Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow and maybe earlier than 9 p.m. Eastern. Maybe. We'll see. See you tomorrow, folks. Bye-bye.